1: This is the Great Shot Podcast, a cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we have one of our final preseason editions of The Deciding Point, where we break down our top 10 Division I men's and women's college tennis teams heading into the 2024 season. Now, obviously, it's already 2024, and we have seen teams out on court already competing while we have seen a plethora of dual matches. It's certainly enough to feel like we are finally starting to dip our toes into the new year. And of course, coming up this weekend, we'll have even more matches to discuss. Thus, it's going to be our final week here of preseason deciding points next week. We start covering the 2024 year for now. We offer you our final preview thoughts before the action really gets rocking and rolling. And dare I say on today's episode we have maybe our most anticipated episode of the 2024 preview series who was our number two men's team entering this new year that was one of the biggest open questions I think amongst all of us in the college tennis world or as I like to frame it the college tennis intelligentsia because obviously you have a stellar squad returning at Virginia a team that brings back five of six starters from last year's squad a team whose core of von der Schulenburg uh, Rodesh, excuse me, Montez, Alex Kiefer now as well. They've won back-to-back national championships at the Division I men's level. And you just have to respect that fact. You have to respect that those top three are all back, that the man they're replacing, Ryan gets is at least replaced by one of the top five incoming freshmen in Ben Dietrich. There was so much to love about that Virginia roster. And in 99% of seasons, they would be a prohibitive preseason number one. Here's the thing. This year, you got some other squads who not only bring back returning experience, dare I say, that has done everything but beat Virginia at the NCAA tournament, but... Teams that also supplement that experience with even more impressive new additions to their roster. And obviously on our last show, we talked about an Ohio State team that in just about any other season might also be your unanimous preseason number one. The other team obviously in that conversation is the topic of tonight's show. A team that may be on paper unequivocally has the most talented top-to-bottom roster in the country, a team, of course, you all know as the University of Texas Longhorns. And joining me on tonight's podcast to break down number two Texas in our preseason poll is the man who has joined me on each and every one of our preseason deciding points as it relates to our men's top 10. Of course, a man you all now know best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR. A lean, mean, national championship winning Michigan Wolverine. And of course, a man I call the professor. It's Chris Helioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show, my friend. This is the one, the debate we've all been looking forward to having. Number one, Virginia. Number two, Texas is ultimately where we reside right off the bat, I ask. Are you having any regrets before we start today's show, seeing that number two next to Texas's name?
0: Regrets? No. And the only debate I'm having was which bourbon was I cracking after the game last night. Come on. (laughs) But uh, no. Look, we— I, no regrets. And I got to see some of these guys. Uh, I I actually got to witness the the 25K final down in Austin uh, when when Waldeb and PY were playing just to see how good they were looking. And we all know what these guys are, you know, how how good they are on paper and how good. It's all returners. They're all experienced, you know, guys with the exception of, of GA coming in. I mean, it's the the most talented roster I think we've seen, you know, coming in, in in quite some time. But there's absolutely no way after two years I'm disrespecting what Virginia's done. And until someone knocks them off, they're they are the incumbent and they deserve that spot.
1: Well, there you go. That's the argument that's going to be one of the central points of discussion we have throughout the course of today's show, why Texas at number two at not number one. And again, there have been some results already here in the college tennis world. We'll save them for next week. If they involve Texas players, we might bring them up here on today's show. But look, this Texas roster is unequivocally excellent. From top to bottom, and they come off of a really successful season. A year that, dare I say, is one of those final points a team has in a story arc on their way to a national championship. And again, before we get into why this team might be number two instead of number one, let's start there. Where does this Texas team sit more broadly as we enter this 2024 season? Well, it is worth noting this Texas team should be considered a blue blood in college tennis. Yes, on the men's side, they only have one national championship, but Chris, just five times, just five times, excuse me, six in program history, just six, have they failed to make the round of 16 or further at the NCAA tournament. Just six times. This team played their first national championship in 1977. Again, just six times have they failed to make the round of 16 or further when they've reached the NCAA tournament event. Obviously, they win that national championship on the men's side in 2019. It's been this group ever since, right? This group of Spaziri, Waldeep, Harper. Obviously, they've had pieces like a PY, like a Micah Braswell along the way. This is a group that, over these last three seasons, 24 and 6, semifinals in 2021. 18 and 11, they lose in the round of 16, a thrilling match at Michigan uh, in that NCAA tournament. But obviously that 2022 season clouded by so many different injuries. Of course, most notably, Elliott baziri couldn't hit two-handed backhands and yet played through it, had the most matches on the team, despite only being able to hit slices. Last year, they were healthy. Last year, they were fit from start to finish. And obviously, you saw an exceptional group, a group that makes the National Indoor Finals with consecutive 4-3 victories over Michigan, over Ohio State, indoors. They obviously have a lot of success against uh, the team they lost to in that National Indoor Final TCU throughout the course of the regular season. They beat the Horn Frogs uh, in Austin for one. They beat the Horn Frogs Four, uh, excuse me, 4-1 was the score in Fort Worth. They beat them 5-2 when the teams play in Austin. Like again, or maybe one of those was neutral site. Here's the point. They went 2-2 two and two against a TCU team that, Obviously, was number one in the rankings whenever Texas wasn't for the majority of the season. They get to the NCAA tournament. They beat South Carolina soundly 4-0 in the quarterfinals after 4-0 wins over Pepperdine, A&M, Corpus Christi, and North Carolina to get there. Felt like this team was answering all the questions, right? They get back to the semifinals well-positioned to make that final leap up next. They faced, obviously, a more experienced Virginia squad, but a Virginia squad that hadn't had the degree of regular season success, at least against top five opponents that Texas had had. And yet, that's obviously where they fall short. They get knocked out in those semifinals by Virginia 4-1. And in particular, it was just the way Virginia seemed to be able to gut out all those matches down the home stretch that obviously cramps and the 100 degree conditions certainly played a factor in that match but it was virginia who was tougher physically down the home stretch virginia was the team that stayed together whether it was in the doubles to come out with 6-1 wins virginia at the 2 and 3 doubles spots in that match like it was a it was a bitter disappointment to lose the way that they lost pretty soundly yeah there were some three i mean i say pretty soundly there were 4-3 set matches in the course of those things. Yeah, seasons. that so, match was going to
0: swing either way coming down to the end. Yeah,
1: again, and it just felt like, again, after every swing went Texas's way throughout the course of the regular season, the two matches they maybe wanted it most, this match and that TCU Conference Championship match, like, and maybe even the TCU National Indoor Final as well, those were the three matches it didn't swing their way. And yet, 26-4 and four overall, this was a team that was the number one overall seed entering the NCAA tournament, a team that did go two and two against TCU, did manage to get two victories against them, beats Ohio State, beats Michigan during the regular season as well. Like this team had some really high moments, Chris, and yet I ask you, overperformance, underperformance, just right? This Texas team with the narrative arc of the, this COVID era as well, where are you with them entering 2024?
0: Well, look. There's no chance that a team gets as far as they do, and you say they underperform. Much like we said on sure. on on the other show, disappointed for sure. I mean, and they were, uh, you know, a- after that match, ec- obviously extremely, uh, extremely disappointed. But you can't say they underperform with what they did during the season. They got, you know, they got as far as they did. Like you said, they split with TCU four matches. You you would have taken your chances on any day rolling that team out against anyone. And at worst, you felt like it was a 50, you know, when you were going out, say, against a Virginia or against a TCU or or maybe an Ohio State that, yeah, you're 50-50 there, everybody else you're winning, you know, hands down, uh, you know, 90% of the time. So... Uh, I I can't possibly say they underperformed. I, I think they're just disappointed and they want they want more. And it's I would say that you know sure would they have loved a national title? Absolutely. If they had won a national ty- do, title, do I think Spiz would be there this year? I don't know about that. I mean, bigger picture, maybe that's a really good thing for a team that's bringing in some good pieces this year. To, give, to make another run at it and give some of the younger guys a good go.
1: I'm going to grade this team on the curve I think they would want to be graded on. I think they would be the first to say we underperformed last year. And the reason they would say that is this is a team that had legitimate national championship aspirations from start to finish this is a team that pretty much from start to finish in the year had the guy the number one player in the country in elliot Spaziri, who by the way throughout the course of the year oh just a casual uh what was it final record 20 and 1 was the final record overall for elliot spiziri last year 20 and 1 overall chris that's a ridiculous season uh for spiz you know obviously to have that sort of effort at the top spot to have the reigning doubles champion in Cleve Harper as one half of your number one doubles piece where again him and Elliott Spaziri I think ended up in the NCAA doubles final ultimately to have that anchoring the top of your lineup to have the depth they did with experience in Harper and Braswell and Bailey and uh, Waldieb obviously in the center of that lineup like this is a team that believed they should have won national championships and to not only not win the NCAA team title, but to go 0-3 in the big finals. You lose to TCU in the national indoor final. You lose to them in the big 12 tournament final. You get knocked out by the eventual champions Virginia in that NCAA team final as well, uh, team semis as well. Like The only teams they lost to were the teams that won national championships last year. And again, there's no shame in their 2023 season. I want to be perfectly clear by that. By program standards, it was probably the second or third best pro, uh, season in program history. Obviously, trailing probably only 2019, where they did end up with the NCAA team title. And yet, even then, this Texas team was better than that 2019 team was throughout the course of the regular season, throughout the course of the national indoors, throughout the course of the build-up to their eventual, like, you felt more confident in 2023 Texas going into that NCAA semifinal against Virginia than you did against 2019 Texas going up against Florida in that NCAA semifinal, or at least certainly I did. Like, by program standards, of course, this was an elite of the elite seasons. This is one you remember, obviously, for years to come. But to your point, Chris, I think last year would be remembered as a bitter disappointment, maybe not underperformance, but bitter disappointment if they didn't have the opportunity to rectify it this season, right? And that's obviously what makes this Texas team so intriguing, so exciting to discuss as we look towards 2024 is because they are bringing the entire band back together. And the difference about bringing this band back together is you're also adding like two Ringo stars. And maybe even like a George Harrison whose solo work is going to be appreciated even much more. So once he leaves this band in a GA Bailey, I thought that was a pretty good historical comparison there, Chris, I'm going to <laughs> pat myself on the back there. He knows his beetle knowledge, but you start with the returners and you kind of have to link in some summer and fall results right away. Like they start the year with the number one and the number two players in the country. They start the year with the all American and the fall Nats champions. And like, you're not sure if they're going to be 1-2 in the lineup, given, again, some of the talent this team also has coming back in Elliott Spaziri, Micah Braswell. Spaziri, of course, your reigning All-American champion, who, as I mentioned last year, 20-1. and He goes 20-1 and overall last year at the number one spot in dual match play. 6-0 and here in the fall, I guess. I guess he could go undefeated. Like, that's the only way he could up his performance from last year. Certainly one of the top three candidates to be the guy entering this new year. And, you know, I think as great as it is to see him sustain that level, if you're Texas, the thing you're most encouraged about is the level of Michael Braswell coming out of the gates, 14-2. and two overall in the fall, and even those two losses for Micah, losses, what, 6-4 in the third to Chris Rodesh, 6-3 in the third to Ryan Colby, but of course beats Tracy, Pennington Jones, Vivez Quinn Van de who had a massive summer on his way to both the regional and fall Nats titles, and, you know, last year, Braswell's record was better, 14-9 overall, 7-2 over his last 10, but this is the first time it's felt like he's been healthy since his freshman season. And to see his level, when healthy, be, hey, I can be the number two player in the country in the fall, I can go 14-2 and two overall, you feel like that relieves some serious pressure from Elliott Spaziro. If he doesn't go 20-1, and one, if he goes 18-3, and three, you feel like Texas can make up some points at that number two spot right away because they went 13-7 and seven last year there. And whether it's Braswell or a different option moving forward, you just feel like compared to the field, they're going to be better there this year.
0: Yeah, and it's not just Braswell, it's everything else that's yeah. come in, right? I mean, he has to feel, even even though they were that good last year, they actually have to feel like they're even better this year uh, with what they've brought in. So the there, it's definitely not pressure, but honestly, I don't even think last year Spiz felt like there was pressure necessarily. He's just, you know, he's the ultimate team guy and he's fighting out there for his team every match. Not because he feels like there's pressure on him if he doesn't win, they're not going to win. He's that's he's just a guy that wants to carry the team, and and that's the way he is. But but yeah, there. I mean, this roster is just loaded now. Uh, you know, granted, one of their incoming freshmen is not going to is not going to be eligible this year. But this is a team that was eight deep you know even with legout in the lineup they were talking about oh so harper and jonah braswell are not playing come on what lineup doesn't have either one of those two guys playing in single and even at that pretty good chance one of them's not playing (laughs) like one of those guys is going to play and one of them's got to be number seven
1: well and again, we're going to get to the depth in a second. But just at top, you know, LA didn't have the best summer. Like He went 9 and 10 on the pro circuit since the end of the year. And obviously a lot of it is he was playing challenger-level stuff, given the accelerator program yep. and the opportunities it provided him. And he got even to play some ATP-level stuff as well. was good at some 15Ks, 25Ks down the stretch of the fall. But that's why it was so confirming to see him come in and, you know, again, get wins over Michael Zhang. Jay Friend, Ozan Barris, Murphy Cassone, Tyler Zink, like, and no disrespect to Ludwig Westray, but those first five, like, that's a real run to the All-American title. You got to beat those players if you want to say, hey, I'm the best guy in college right now, and he beat them all at the All-American event. And then again, to see him have success from there, semifinals of the twenty five K, he loses to his teammate P.Y. Bailey. East Lansing. Yeah, a tough loss to Ozan Barris, but that's a loss on home soil. I think that speaks more to Ozan's level than anything against Elliott. You're like that he was as good as advertised when he's had to play collegiate matches this year as he was last year. Again, it's a really confirming thing. It just gives you some comfort if you're a Texas fan. And then again, that Braswell was this good out of the gates, beating whom he beat. You just feel like he is healthy in a way he hasn't been. And now you can start to look at all those other options, Chris. And again, let's stick with the returners. Of these names, you tell me who you are most confident coming into the year. CM Waldeb, 5-3 in the fall. P.Y. Bailey, 5-3 and three in the fall. By the way, those just are the college matches. I assume you're going to talk about that Austin result here in a second. Or Cleve Harper, who obviously we know exactly what we're getting out of Cleve Harper. 7-4 and four this uh, fall. By the way, records last year for that group because they were a little bit more up and down. Uh, Waldy last year, 18-8, but 4-4 four and four over his last 10. P.Y. Bailey, 12-7, 4-2 over his last send. Uh, Harper 16 and 7, 5 and 3 over his last 10. Of those three, who are you asking the most of this year? Oh, PY for sure. Okay. Uh,
0: I mean, look, see, I, I think Cleve's going to, uh, honestly, I have, look, we have no idea what this lineup's going to look like. I think there's a very good chance that Cleve becomes like, he's going to be playing one dubs, right? I mean, he's the best doubles player on the team. He's playing one dubs, and he might be the dubs guy. That plays, you know, splits time, if you will, at six in singles. Uh, I I fully expect that to happen. And it's going to be like, you know, when he's not playing, he's the emotion. You know, we know how fiery he is and he'll be the emotional guy, you know, leading that team from from the side. I just I can't say I expect the most out of him because I think he's going to be in a spot where he probably is splitting some time. Uh, depending on when guys go down. Maybe it's, you know, if one guy goes down, then they're both playing. But otherwise, I sort of fully expect he and Jonah Braswell to see who who emerges and maybe one of those guys is the, is the six. But so it's not him. CM, look, I mean, CM, when CM looks good, CM's great. When CM doesn't look good, he's really not good. Uh, and you kind of know what, what you're getting there. But if you get the luxury of being able to play him at five, I don't even ex. I mean, I do. I expect a lot out of that. If he's playing five week in, week out, I expect him to be killing it. Uh, and I'd be really disappointed if he didn't. But the guy I do expect the most out of uh, is Py. He's going to be playing higher in the lineup. I expect him to be playing higher in the lineup. And and like you said, it's not so much taking pressure off of Spiz, but I mean that that top four. Uh, that they're going to have in there should be just absolutely ridiculous.
1: P.Y. feels like the guy who could have the most natural bounce back because, again, last year, 12-7 overall, he's just better than that. You saw that at the Austin 25K. He beats Bicknell, Braswell, Spaziri, and Deep consecutively to win that 25K event. And, you know, that's a wall Deep who that event beat Lerner Tien, Duarte Valle, Zambor Velts, obviously the rising sophomore, Baylor as well. Like Waldie was playing really good ball. And again, those guys probably aren't gonna be playing higher than three or four in the lineup with how good Spazier and Braswell have been this fall and Again, if those guys are playing three and four, this team should be better than the nineteen and nine record they had at three singles last year. They should be better than the fifteen and eleven record they had at four last year. Even if it's the same faces, it's a year later. Hopefully these guys are healthier again, playing their best tennis because those records feel like they should be better out of this Texas team. And that's maybe the scariest part is it's the same faces and you feel like this is a better version of last year's squad because to your point, Harper, who, again, NCAA doubles champion 2022, finalist last year, All-American finalist with Spaziri this fall. Like, if that's your foundational team at one doubles as well, and Cleve, who's won over 15, I think, singles matches each of the last couple of season in that singles lineup, like, if he is your guy, odd man out, like your spot starter, it speaks to how highly you think of these newcomers on the roster. And obviously, there are three new additions to the roster you want to focus on from this year's team, but two in particular who we know are going to be eligible this season. And the last, the odd man out. All due respect to Timo Legu, uh who obviously was a top 500 guy in the ATP rankings, and uh, a guy who certainly will expect some big things on, out of moving forward. All due respect to guys like Calvin Wong, Rahul Sachdev. There are two we're focusing on in terms of newcomers to this roster. You've got Jonah Braswell, the sophomore coming over from Florida. And G.A. Bailey, brother of P.Y., two-time Junior Slam finalist, top five junior in the world who we saw compete this past weekend. That seems to indicate he will be eligible this season. Chris, we talked about – I mentioned uh, Waldeeb and P.Y. They are playing the three and four spots. There's a world where it's G.A. and Jonah. Like Jonah made semifinals, I think, of the Texas Regional. I know G.A. had a struggle first weekend, but – the pedigree speaks for itself. Like, these are real newcomers. Talk about what Texas fans can expect. Yeah, well, first, yeah, look, G.A., uh, G.A.,
0: I think you say top five. He was number one, was he not? Yeah, that's uh, right. You're not bringing the number one junior in the world over to play four or five singles. Yeah. I don't care how good your team is. That's not what he came for. Now, do I think his brother helped recruit? Look, I love P.Y., man. you, you We saw him last year in that match with Montez. He was Absolutely gutted. Not just because of the fact that you know that he didn't win his match. It was because of what it meant for the team. He was absolutely gutted, and he cares so much, and he fights so hard that yeah, I, you know, I he probably had a big part in bring, Hey, you know, gets his little brother to come over. We, we're gonna win this damn thing, and you're coming to help, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see GA. Uh, I mean, notwithstanding maybe a first month because we already saw. When you, I've said it, we've said it countless times. You bring a January freshman in that has never seen college tennis, doesn't play college tennis. They just, they can't fathom what they're in for from a, you know, heckling, if you will, from the fans and the, and the, the, the noise and the, the team atmosphere. And it's not just a one man match and etc. cetera. And he goes and loses a match that on for, you know, all intents and purposes, he had no business losing so what? I expect that to happen almost with any January freshman over the the first month of the season. After once once we get past say indoors, okay, if things are like that are still happening, I start to get worried. But you get you get a free pass for the first month and a half to just acclimate. But he's that good. There's no way he should be outside the top 3 of this lineup. I could see them starting him. Just initially lower, it's not going to last long, I'll tell you that. Uh, but yeah, I like you were talking, you know, Waldy Py 3 4. I think you know that should that ought to be the 4 5 discussion. And and I love people, I'll play Py at two, no problem. But I don't think you get Braswell and GA out of those spots when we get to the point where the everybody's settled down and that's the real lineup. But GA for sure former number one junior in the world is not coming here to, you know, get a kickstart to his pro career. Who knows how many years, you know, you get guys like that, that have been number one juniors. They're not probably coming to play four years of college tennis. I, I have no idea what his intentions are. I would seriously doubt that it's to play four years in college. Is it one? Is it two? Is it three? I have no idea, but he wants to get ready for that pro career. And that's not going to be, you know, you're not doing that playing four singles. So that's – I don't see that happening.
1: It's fair. And again, for those that don't know, career high, 474 in the ATP rankings. Yes, former top junior in the world, runner-up to the 2022 U.S. Open and Roland Garros Boys singles competitions. Look, again, even Diana Schneider lost matches last year, albeit to top 15 or top 20 players at the time. But yeah, people lose matches in college tennis as you try to acclimate to the environment – it is hard to imagine a world where a two-time Junior Slam finalist is playing any lower than three. But, man, early in the year, like, you're going to have G.A. above P.Y.? It's not like oh. P.Y. had a bad fall, and yeah, I think like, that's that's the fascinating I'm, part.
0: If I'm Coach Burke, I completely take advantage of it, and I attempt to start him at four or five and 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 wait to see, I mean— <laughs> Look, coach Burke is the guy that loves to protest things. Everybody else is going to jump all over trying to protest him. Uh and who knows, but you know, it then it has to go through some sort of arbitration and it and it, it just depends on who you're playing and maybe by the time we get to to indoors assuming they hold court and and make it to indoors, we'll have a lot more results to be able to base this off of. But I absolutely given what you have and the fact that you can absolutely justify playing Micah at two, P.Y. at three, and then put, say, G.A. at four and C.M. at five, or even if you tried to go. So I think he, he'd definitely probably get overturned if you tried to play him at five. But but you're totally justified with that. Uh, and I think you start him out to, you know, to sort of ease him in without too much pressure at going, hey, you're on, you're playing the two spot or the three spot right away. Absolutely. I do it.
1: See, this is where one of those, again, if I'm Bruce Burke, I'm saying, you know what? Here's my lineup card, Coach Woodson. Here's yeah. my lineup <laughs> card, out. Coach Rodini. Play them however you want. We're going to win your matches. We're going to find at least three singles victories. So uh, good luck to you no matter how you want to scheme it. Because again, like you look at the falls, what about Jonah Braswell? He had a pretty darn good fall. The loss is three sets to Ali Wallen. That one's 7-6 in the third. He loses a tough one to Peter Mock in Straits. His other loss, his brother Micah in the semifinals of the regional, he beat JPJ, beat Martin Braysock, good win over Ludwig, good win over Thomas Pulsell. Like obviously Jonah Braswell last year, 29-12, and 14-9 in dual match play. He was th- Primarily at number three, where he was 10-7 and seven for Florida. You know, it's a top 50 guy in the rankings. And by the way, you look at the ITA singles rankings right now. Spazieri's one. Braswell is two. Uh, you've got also for Texas, Jonah's at 28. He's the next highest ranked one. P.Y. at 49. Harper's at 82. Waldeep then at 101. So no GA in the rankings yet, but you feel like it's when, not if again you got six guys right away seven guys Harper like if okay. Harper's your option just to recap because I feel like we are doing a little Cleve Harper disrespect here but I just want to remind all of you what the sixth year Harper has done over these last two years last year uh again playing primarily at the number five spot he goes what I'm trying to get this record correct I have the stats in front of me come on Alex be fast yeah why you look that up 16 I'm not and saying seven I've reason- got I've got it in front of me, 16-7 and seven that year as a sophomore, 12-6 and six in dual match play, 9-4 and four at the number five spot. You go back again to 2021, similar record. Like, I guess, again, it's good for great. Sometimes great beats good, and you just feel like maybe the other options are even better. But power rank them for me right now. You're rolling out those seven guys. What? No legu because – Maybe it's honestly a luxury for coach Burke that he doesn't have to worry about this eighth option right away. Cause I don't know how you'd keep a guy who was formerly top 500 in the ATP rankings out of the top six either in Timo Legu. Uh, but again, of those seven guys, sans Legu, what's your order right now, Chris, talk me through it. Not to cut you off. I apologize.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was gonna. Yeah. And yeah, we'll talk about, I'll talk about that part when I get down to six, but yeah, no, there's no doubt. Spiz is one. I think I roll out to begin the year. Uh, would be, I think it's almost uh, a virtual toss up after that, and you give the benefit of the doubt to the guys that have been there. So, I'm going Braswell, too. And i say, yeah, Micah, too. Okay. The guy that looked most impressive at the end of last year to me was Micah Braswell. And I remember calling out, hey, watch out for him in the NCAA tournament, he could make waves because he finally got healthy and he looked so good at the end of the year. Just, I mean. When he can upf- when he can hit the ball, he hits the ball so hard. It's so hard to play against him that yeah, I and I just I think you play him at two. Honestly, I go a toss up between the two Baileys at three four. And I think it just depends on both the guys and what Coach Burke's got in his head. I could play him either order. I would lean GA3 PY four but I'm okay in either order. I got Wolby five. And then I. there is no disrespect to Cleve here. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see some platooning between Cleve and Jonah Braswell at six. And one of the guys is probably going to step up and show that they're in a little better form or they're a little more deserving. And whoever earns it Earns it, but I think early on we we I don't think it's going to be like nope. These are the six, and we're going all year with these six. I don't think we're going to see that. I think we're going to see both. But let's also not forget that Cleves had his share of you know some uh, uh, mind nothing major, but some minor injury issues and trying to stay healthy for an entire year. And I honestly don't think that it's going to be in Coach Burke's best interest to roll him out in the singles lineup every single match and put that many matches on him and expect to have a healthy Cleve Harper, who he desperately needs in the doubles lineup come May. I So I don't think you wear him out by playing him every single match in singles, which I think we see a good platooning effort. And look, Waldeep's had his share as well. It's They have the luxury of being so solid seven deep that it may be somebody just needs a break every match. And, you know, maybe maybe Jonah and Cleve are both playing. In what order? I have no idea. But I think we're just going to see a good amount of both of them.
1: That's exactly the point to make is, again, this is a team that's been injury plagued for a lot of the past two years since that breakout 2021 NCAA semifinal run. And this team now has the depth, the luxury to say, oh, you've got a nick. You don't you know, something's not feeling right. We're going to sit you today because we're not going to press the issue. We need to be peaking come May where this is a championship or bust sort of year. And I think I talked about this with Jay when we talk about the North Carolina roster on the women's side. Like what's going to be most fascinating is the match count for all of these players. Like, How many of them actually play more than 20 dual matches throughout the course of the year? And maybe even more, uh, the question I should have asked you, not what order are they going to play, but who's going to lead the team in matches? Like, I think Micah Braswell is going to play the most matches because I feel like, again, he's coming over to play matches. He's, he wants to rack up the numbers as well. 28 in the fall, like after the fall, he's in position to do some things and he's certainly not going to get cracks at the lineup at one two or three very frequently so I'm sure he's always going to be a hand up I'll play the Baileys are going to be fascinating deep again he is he going pro after this does he want a shot at the accelerator program he might want some shots at one or two like I just feel like the answer isn't going to be Elliot, right that's the most fascinating part when looking at this question Chris
0: yeah I well I'll give you my answer to that question because I think there's Zero reason for him not to play every. You can I can make an argument for almost everybody else. The guy that needs to play every match
1: is GA. Okay. Like, yeah, because he has nothing to base it off of. Sure.
0: Elliot's gonna need time. Braz Mike is gonna need some time. Py is probably gonna need time. Woldie always seems to get tweaked here or there. Harper is gonna have you know a, a shoulder here or there. I mean, I think the two guys that, and then I would say, and my, my number two option. If he can manage to find his way in, in the big matches, if he's the sixth guy in front of Cleve, my number two option is actually Jonah Braswell. I think Thanks. he's going to be a workhorse too. And, you know, I'm looking at the schedule going, yeah, in all of these matches early on where, you know, you don't ever want to take anyone for granted, but in a match that you're, you know, really, really confident you're going to win and you can sit one guy, right? That means both if you're sitting one guy, if it's not Cleve or Jonah, they're both playing. Jonah's gonna get a ton of those matches. The only way I think he's not probably the number two guy on that list is if he's the odd man out in the big matches that that they end up playing him and it's and it's Cleve at six but if he ends up being the sixth, I think he's probably the second big workhorse on the team that hasn't I don't think shown that will need, little time to to rest up like some of the other guys have
1: and third highest ranked of the six ranked texas longhorns right now is currently sitting at 28 in the rankings and obviously you beat jpj that's going to really help your rankings from the formula standpoint which he has a win right now and it's like yeah there's a world where he's not playing which just is a crazy thing to say out loud because he's been really good over the last six months his first certainly 12 months in college or 15 months in college tennis and Look, again, there are other freshmen, other names on this roster I know we're overlooking, but those seven guys just have a pedigree that everyone else lacks. And I'm curious, of those seven, who impressed you most over the last six months, summer, fall, outsized expectations? Like, who is the guy you're looking at where you're like, this is the guy I feel most confident in entering the new year? I'm not sure I've seen, like, enough. I mean, (sighs) the—
0: Look, I've seen some— I, and I we talked about it. I was there for that 25K final between P.Y. And, and C.M. And, man, when C.M.'s on, a set and a half, he dominated that match. Probably shouldn't have lost the match. Uh, but between him just giving us the slightest of openings to P.Y. and P.Y. taking advantage of it uh, and coming back, man, did he look good. But honestly, the guy that I the guy I feel like I have the most confidence in is Jonah Braswell. I mean, you talked about, you talked about some of the, the college results, you know, get outside the college results. And he, you know, even in, even in some of the futures, he had three set wins over guys that, you know, on paper, maybe a little better pedigree coming in like Henrik Weirsholm. Uh, like if somebody else in that, I can't even remember in that same tournament, it was the next round after Weirsholm that he beat, uh, Oh gosh, you're gonna make me go
1: look now. I'll uh, have it up for you in a second. He beat. Oh, it was uh, Alex Kotzen. Alex yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, two good wins back to back. There, I just i i feel really good about what he what he brings to the table. I have no issues with you know. Losses, maybe not as close like that. The 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 mock loss as, as you would have liked, uh, and Winter or Ali Wallen, th- those are all fine. But beats other college guys in at the Longhorn Invitational and with Strate and so I just i i like i liked everything I saw about him last year at Florida. I like what I've seen in, in the summer. I just think it's a guy that you you can just you you can depend on him and and lean on him. Uh, to to get matches in I beyond that look Spiz is the guy I mean he he is the guy he's been the guy there's no doubt he's playing he's playing one to your point it's a question of how many matches does he play but I mean if you're truly going to say who do you count on the most it's obviously him I'm just sort of leaving him out because it's I mean it's obvious
1: category
0: yeah that's I mean he's in his own world that's that
1: that's it let the record show I asked Chris for one name. He gave me three, which speaks to the strength of this Texas roster <laughs> has, right there. These in guys are show. so deep. No, then the thing about Jonah is, again, he's played north of 20 dual matches. He's entering a sophomore season, so he's got a full year of SEC tennis under his belt. And he's not going to be asked to play three or four like he was last year. He'll be asked to play at most maybe five, like six. And you just know his level at that position Again, this is a really special team. I did this with Ohio State. I apologize for repeating this bit, but I'd like to see them play all those Virginia teams. I'd like to see them play this US, like some of the USC teams from the four Pete years, because top to bottom, you feel that this team can get a win at every position they play, in every match that they play. And again, Spaziri, the pedigree. Is it Stevie Johnson, 72 wins in a row? No, but go watch him beat Fenty. Go watch him beat... Kingsley, go watch him. You know, again, even play firmly in that final. The effort he gives. Just you're never counting Elliot Spazieri out of any match that he plays at that number one spot. As sure a thing as we have had for just about two years now. Even when it's only been with one wrist. You know, again, Mike is the number two player in the country right now. And you're absolutely right. He just got better and better as the year progressed last season. They're bringing in a two-time Junior Slam finalist, a guy who was a top-five junior in the world, and you're legitimately asking, well, he probably should play four to start the year because his older brother P.Y. has also been that good, and you're asking P.Y. to play three, not two, like he's played for much of the past few seasons. Again, you'd expect him to be better. A fifth year in Waldeb at five a sixth year in Harper at six or Braswell, whomever it may be, you're like, this is a joke. This team has experience. Their least experienced guy is a two time Junior Slam finalist. Like, that's the guy you have the most questions about is the two time Junior Slam finalist. That's what makes this roster freaking crazy. You know, you kind of said it. Elliot winning All Americans is just a reminder that he's the be- you know, again, him, Rodesh maybe you want to put another name in there right now. That's kind of who the guy conversation runs through at this yeah, point. Just Monday. One. Yeah, yeah. No, her- but Monday's not on that level. Like it's really Elliot and Chris. That's it right now. And obviously those two teams and their, those two players went head to head in last year's NCAA semifinal. And it was Chris's team that got the victory. It was Chris who was up five, three in the third for what it's worth as well. Like it's a, a, it, Again, this team has everything you could ask for: experience, new talent, depth, doubles pedigree as well. Because if Waldy and you know, you look at the doubles last year, uh, they go fourteen and eight at two doubles, eleven and eight three. You feel like there's real room for improvement there. Also, I love you, Nevin Aramilli. He did go ten and four last year. You felt like maybe this team was a player short though last season, and that like yeah, you felt fine if it was Aramilli, fine if it was McDonald. But if one of those big guys were missing and everyone had to move up a spot, that's where Texas would get in trouble, albeit just four losses last year. Now they could lose one of their big guys for a week, and they're still going to be okay because that seventh guy is a Harper or a Jonah Braswell. That eighth guy, you know, if Lucas Brown has to come in in a pinch, at that point you're saying, yeah, but we still got five of our other big guys up top that we feel fine about in any of those positions. Like, this team got better over the offseason. On paper, it's again, on paper, it's the deepest team. I'm going to go back to that 2014 Virginia team. I know how good 2022 Florida was, one through six, maybe even seven, if you want to put Bonetto in that mix. But the freshman year Virginia team that didn't win, the too many cooks in the kitchen team that had Harry Richmond and Jordan Daigle on the bench in singles, and like that team was legitimately eight deep. Like that team, you laugh at that sort of depth. And it's like Texas, if Lagu was eligible, would be one through eight deep, where it would be eight legitimate options who could win at any position in the lineup on any given day. That's this roster, Chris. And so I ask you, who's the MVP? The However you want to describe it, what's the player you think of when I bring up this category? Oh, it's, I mean, there's no doubt
0: it's Spiz, but – I. I do think – I was trying to think as you were going through that monologue on bringing in a, a i – I'm trying to think the last junior that I can think of that probably had that sort of clout, say, Snyder. grand slam-wise, on the, on the men's side to me is probably Axel Geller. And yeah. I'm not looking at it, but there, I, I'm going to tell you right now there's zero chance Geller came in playing four. Yeah. like play two. No, he, 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 he was, was
1: right behind Fawcett that teammate, I was the national say, I think indoor he was finals playing, right away. Yeah,
0: Two behind Fawcett. Above
1: Samir, though, above Janenderer, like above all those guys right away.
0: Yeah. So the fact that we're talking about, yeah, you could easily play him three, four. I I expect him to not be top two because I expect Spiz and Micah and then some order of the Baileys. And, yeah, it's ridiculous that we're talking about a junior like that, uh, you know, a, a top junior in the world going, yeah, probably coming in there. Uh, but, you know, but there's still no doubt that the that it's I mean, the MVP has to be Spiz. It has been. It will be. It's the boring answer because we take it for granted. Yeah. He's going to throw up another ridiculous 20 and one. I mean, I don't know how you get any better than that. You lo- The only way is to not lose in a dual match. Right. But he lost one dual match. But <clears throat> but the, he, he's the guy. And they I mean, and all the other guys just expect him. Uh, You know, they expect that he's going to win that match. And, you know, it's almost a. if they look over and see that he's down or losing or or has lost, it's going to be a shock. But in this year, it's almost not going to matter because they're going to be just as good at every other freaking position.
1: Yeah. The answer is the six singles like this team last year. Again, our was fine. 14-8 at six singles you know, last year the biggest spot for improvement is 4. Last year they went 15 and 11 at 4. That's a 577 oh, win percentage. That should be a huge turnaround. That's going to be they, their most improved. Not their yeah, most they uh, Yeah, they should be
0: they should be like they should lose t- one or two matches at 4 yeah. all year.
1: The answer is 4, 5 and 6. And the answer is really 6 cuz they should never lose at 6 against anyone uh ever period, like the answer is six. That's going to be the spot that should be the 20-1 and one spot, not Ellie at one. It should be whoever plays six on any given day should be racking up those numbers because that's how good they are six and seven in this lineup. That would be my pick, but yeah, it's four, five, six. Like if they are as dominant as they should be, if, you know, again, because if, if one of those guys, Waldeeb, one of the Baileys, Jonah, like Cleve, whomever it may be, if one of those guys isn't feeling it, Tell Bruce, like, get yourself out of the lineup because yeah. what's sitting on the bench is a win that day, more likely than not. And so, like, if this team knows who the six are pretty quickly and they can say, all due respect to you, seven, but, like, we're just dominating at four, five, and six, the quicker they know who the six kicks, uh, cooks in the singles kitchen should be, the better. For this team, and so if someone steps up and is just like, "Nope, I'm the sixth guy. This is my spot." That to me is the MVP because that is where this team should be so much better than anyone else. And credit to Bruce Burke, we're gonna get to see the Longhorns tested all season long. And look, it's your last year with all these guys: Harper, Wall, Deep. Uh, Spiz, obviously. Micah's a senior as well. P.Y. I think is either a junior or a senior at this point, so you're only going to have him for so long. P.Y. is currently a junior. So, again, he's an upperclassman, but this is his last run with this guy, this group of guys. They play everyone, Chris. Absolutely everyone. Already oh, played the Miami Spring schedule. Invite. They've got Lamar and Abilene Christian this weekend. Shout-out to ACU. They're on everyone's schedule. You'd love to see it. We'll do the doc someday. Nine days from this recording, we're recording June uh, Tuesday, January 9th, nine days from now in Austin, they've got Virginia coming to town before kickoff weekend. And they've got UTSA plus the winner of Utah, Oklahoma State. We imagine it'll be Oklahoma State, given how many pieces that Utah team has lost. But after kickoff weekend, pre-indoors, Stanford's coming to Austin on Sunday, that same Saturday, Florida coming to town as well after the National Indoors. They've got a home and home on the schedule with TCU again this year. They've got Ohio State coming to Austin. They're going to Athens. They're going to Los Angeles to play USC as well. Bruce Burke said, we've got the roster. We'll play anyone. Name your team. We'll come play. It wouldn't shock me if we see Michigan State on that roster over the course of the next month. Why not a little late April soiree? Like, this is a really fun schedule. We're going to get to see the Longhorns tested, and it gives them time to test out doubles combinations, find the right guy at six. Like, it's the right schedule for this roster.
0: Yeah, and keep in mind, even when we talk about that, it's a a ridiculous schedule, and I'm sure when the commitment to go to Athens was made, they probably still thought Ethan Quinn and Alex Mickelson were going to be there. I mean, you know, they were lining up just the best teams that they could find to play. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it it is a top-notch, top-notch schedule. They're going to get tested all year long.
1: Yeah, and I'm curious, is there a particular stretch? You, I mean, again, there is an eight-day stretch where they, nine days, they go Cal, Ohio State, at Georgia, at USC. I and mean, that's fantastic. But even, I mean, again, February 4th, Stanford, February 10th, Florida. Like, we'll get to see right away going into the national indoors. How do all the dogs look? Where is GA playing in those big matches, such as the one against Stanford at home? And that Florida-Texas rivalry, even if there are new faces at Florida, has meant a lot to this particular group of Texas Longhorns. I mean, again, I guess this is one of those schedules you like everywhere, right? Like Like There is really no inflection match. The inflection matches come in May. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It'll be a little more. I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see what kind of tests they get. Clearly we know TCU is going to be a battle again. I mean, that's one of our other top fours. Uh, but, you know, between the the other teams and obviously you've got two newcomers this year, I don't honestly expect huge challenges from UCF or BYU, but between, you know, with, with Baylor, Oklahoma, oklahoma state uh and, and texas tech are they going to get challenged there at all i think th- those will be interesting to me but that's all long, long you know again we're in the i can't even call it the big six anymore it's the big <laughs> eight now but only for this year and then they're destroyed back to you know back some teams go to the sec whatever uh yeah but, but
1: before that happened chris michigan football got their championship carry on <laughs> it's the last day we could be partisan fans. The moment the first ball is struck in a dual match format, I turn everything off and the blinders come on.
0: Yeah, but I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. I I will be. I mean, the home and home with TCU is great, and they should you know, they they should have always been doing that. And especially and now with both of those teams being so good, gotta have that. And and oh my, I mean, the the match. I'm actually. I mean, the fact that they get Virginia before. Uh, kickoff week, and I kind of wonder, I they won't just because of who those guys are. But I would love to see Coach Pedroso and Coach Burt get together and go. Just look, as many of the guys that played each other in that match at, in Orlando, we're we're li- we're lining them up. Call them whatever number you want. They're all playing each other again now. Okay, who's left? Oh, GA's got to play somebody. He can play, you know, he can play Dietrich. Okay, that's good. The two newcomers get each other. Uh, I love that. But. But,, uh, but, yeah, they should just line up mono a mono the same lineups they had last year. And if it was a hidden duel, they probably would. In this now, nah, they probably can't do that. but but the fact they get Virginia right before it, I expect them to hold court at home uh, and win their kickoff weekend and then turn right around and get a Stanford team that we've talked about that we're very intrigued to see, you know, I'm guessing no fairy, but what's that team look like? Uh, and then, you know that, I think that Florida match that they get, you know, the next weekend again before indoors, that Florida team is going to be a sneaky good team uh, this year that people are just way under the radar for people because of, you know, a coaching change and all the guys that are gone. Uh, and but but it's going to be there. There are some guys on that roster That, you know, I think are going to catch a lot of people's eyes once the season gets going, like Jeremy Jinn, like Aiden Kim. Uh, You know, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see how that plays out.
1: At TCU on March 2nd. Now, they have St. John's a couple of days before that, and that'll be their first match. That St. John's match uh, post-National Indoors. But. You know, While they get to shake off the rust, that at TCU match is their first real post-indoors match, and sometimes you have a real hangover. Go point to TCU winning the 2022 national indoors, losing to Michigan at home that like two weeks or 10 days later, whatever it was. If Texas cruises in that at TCU match, you know this team, they're ready for everything. That the question got. is, is it
0: the first time they play
1: TCU? That's also <laughs> a very good point. And again, they do have that home and home. So that's the match I'm probably watching most closely early on. But again, we're going to get to see them really tested throughout the course of the year. That said last two, one last two topics for you, Chris. And this is the topic we've all been waiting for to explore once more. Their argument to be number one. And it comes down to something my brother told me, my older brother, Eric, who doesn't get as much run time as he should, but it's because I'm still a little bit intimidated by him. My buddy always says the best part about hanging out with you when Eric is around is you are dead quiet. Like, you actually shut up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's not false. It's like, I gotta pick my words more closely. But I also say my sense of humor is actually just make him laugh. Anyways, big Eric fan. Doesn't matter. Point is, I was having this discussion with him in the preseason. I was like, I texted 36 coaches. He goes, really? They all responded to you? Nice job. And I was like, did you hear that? Um, And Anyways, he goes, Alex, enough with your arguments. Here's what it comes down to. This team goes head to head with another team. Who are you picking to win? Because the team you're picking to win should be your preseason number one team. And I'm sorry, but Chris Halioras, I don't know anyone in the world right now who with a straight face would say, I'm picking Virginia to beat this Texas roster. On paper, which is all we have right now, but on paper, you're picking Texas every time. Because you know, like, you just have so many options. They're good everywhere. We've talked about that depth. We've talked about that strength. It was a bunch of three-set matches in brutal conditions. But, like... I'm pretty sure right now you would pick Texas to beat Virginia in that match in Austin. And like, I know, again, this is preseason and Virginia's won back-to-back national championships and they have earned that benefit of the doubt and they have earned respect. By the way, they're our preseason number one. We'll get to their argument for being number one when we talk about them. Who are our number one team? So Virginia fans, relax when you're hearing this. But Eric Ruskin's right. Like to a point. Shouldn't you just pick the team that you think is going to win? And like, on paper, I always think Texas is going to win right now. They have all of the pieces. Like, it's kind of crazy to make the argument for someone based on their past performances. Let's live in the here and now. We ain't in 2023 anymore. We ain't in 2022 anymore. We're in 2024. And if you're picking the best roster, the best team to start 2024— how do you not pick this Texas team that goes seven deep? And if they had Lagoo, maybe you'd have to have put them at number one because then it's eight wide and you're just like, I don't know, man. But still, I don't know, man. Like, their argument to be number one is we were semifinalists last year and we got even better. Like, you could, they got better. I don't think you would say Virginia got better. I think Dietrich swapped in, swapping in for Getz, at best, they break even because Ryan Getz was really good over the past two years. At best, they break even. I think everyone would say Texas got better. Like, It's very easy. You hear the passion in my voice. Again, Virginia's our preseason number one, folks. You see the number next to Texas on this podcast. They're two. But the argument for them to be number one and Texas fans listening to this podcast being like, okay, but so like, why didn't you make us number one? I haven't heard anything convincing yet. And I don't know if I can give them anything, Chris. So I'll I'll turn to you for this. Well, there are like, I don't know what the argument is in.
0: It's because five of us voted and three of us took Virginia number one, but you never got to finish your point. So I really want to hear the follow through. You texted 36 coaches. Is that what you said? Yes. How many put Virginia number one? 27. Okay. So the coaches are all wrong too. Yes.
1: Yes. I like the argument of the nine better. I'm going to be honest. Whenever I got one of the nine versus one of the 20, because the 27 was so, like, it was the same argument. It's respect. It's the top three. Andreas has killed it these last few years. Again, they're number one in our poll too. Like, I'm not trying to deny their presence to number one. I'm saying it's a very boring argument. The more fascinating argument is, like, and a younger me, if this is 2017, 18, 19, I don't have all of these relationships with these coaches. I'm going to be honest. I voted Virginia one. Like, no, I don't think the coaches are wrong. That's what I went with in my vote. But yeah, they're wrong. Like, because if I gave all of them truth serum, I'm like, but which roster are you more afraid of? I think the majority would say the Texas roster. I really oh, do. Th- yeah, there's, there's no doubt. And I also So think- then, like, are we lying if we don't put them at one? This is the no, roster because- the most people fear.
0: I think it's a from a preseason standpoint to me, do I think Virginia wins in Austin in January? Look, Virginia hasn't been good to start the season for, you know, a couple of years now. No, I don't think they do. If you ask me right now to, you know, prognosticate and go, hey, how do I feel about May? I'll take Virginia. Like I don't. I, I will absolutely, with what they with what they did last year, there is no way that I'm going to count them. I'm like, yes, Spiz is the guy. Rodesh isn't going to lose. Montez is, isn't going to lose. Like, okay, Montez we may not have 100 degree He never actually
1: heat. loses.
0: Yeah, you may not have 100 degree heat and just wear somebody down to death and maybe that'll make a difference. But no, like those guys, when it comes down to it and it's in, in the team final, they just didn't lose. And and I think the difference. I think what's going to have to happen is for me to to swing that needle. Texas's way, even though on paper on paper the singles roster looks better for Texas, I think Texas is going to have to come out and prove that they're the better doubles team. Like they're going to have to show because me they're the better.
1: Because reigning doubles NCAA team. doubles finalists, Cleve Harper and Elliott Spazieri aren't enough. Like yeah. here's the counter, and then a final word on this. I promise we'll go to you. The delta between Texas and Virginia at 4, 5, and 6. All due respect to Kiefer, Dahlberg, Dietrich, whatever order they go in, I'm going to pick the Texas 4, 5, and 6 in all three of those matches. And I'm going to pick them more confidently than I'm going to pick Rodesh over Spaziri, Then I'm going to pick Montez, uh, Montez over whomever the 2 is for Texas, then I'm going to pick von der Schulenberg over whomever the 3 is for Texas. And I just think that delta in confidence level with the doubles, fine. You want to say it's even to start the year, that's fine. I would still probably lean Texas, even though they got blown out last year just on the pieces they have on the roster this year, but still 50-50. The thing I am most confident in going into that match is Texas's depth. And I guess, really, I'm having this argument with myself, Chris, because this was a huge internal deliberation for me. And I put Ohio State in this tier, and I told this to Jay. You're never going to listen to the pod I do with Jay, so I'll tell it to you here— I retracted my TCU statement. It's not a top four. It's a top three. I should have never succumbed to your argument. That was me being way too rosy. It's a new year. Listeners, I'm back. I'm setting Chris straight. It's a top three. It's not a top four. I love you, Louis Maxstead. I love you, Thomas Jurasek. You got to prove it to me before I put you in, the, out, you, uh, in the tier. I hate you, Coach Rodini. Hate you, David Rodini. Hate you so much <laughs> that I sent you the holiday card. Um, anyways, it just like – I, I, It's my own fault because Eric is in my head. Who would I pick? I would pick Texas. Who do I think should be number one? Well, Virginia's earned that benefit of the doubt. I just think both arguments are right, and that's where I hate this because I like if I see a flaw in your argument, I'm happy to argue against it. I don't see a flaw in your argument, Chris. I also don't see a flaw in Texas fans' arguments. In any other season, this team is a runaway preseason number one. Not just like a number one, runaway preseason number one. They're third in the ITA coaches poll behind both Ohio State and Virginia. And I can't get mad at it because, like, Virginia and Ohio State made the NCAA finals last year. And Ohio State brings back everyone else as well. Like, you can legitimately put this Texas team at third, and I can't yell at you. I also can't yell at you if you want to put them at first. Like... And you look at the ITA poll, because for what it's worth, we did have a frame of reference. I had it up. I no longer do. I'll pull it up in a second. I'm curious how uh, the people voted. You look at the ITA team rankings. Texas is third. Was it a unanimous Virginia selection? though? I don't have that open in front of me. I apologize. Here's the point. I get the argument, Chris. Last word goes to you.
0: Yeah, I think the problem, well, first of all, coaches and I, I would have guaranteed the coaches poll was going to go that way because the coaches sure. are very much into a 26 what, of th- uh, 27 of 36 what what has happened as long as it's the same team like you can't go oh I expect USC to do something because of what Stevie Johnson did no okay it's not the same team what I expect these Virginia guys to do because it's the same top of the line of Virginia guys yes very much so uh I go there and the fact that we it, it wasn't just that they were back to back if they were back to back as, say, the favorite going in last year, it might not have been so impressive. Look, none of us picked Virginia for that. Like, we, I mean, legitimately, I think we probably all thought even last year, Texas was going to win that match. Like we 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 all thought so. Texas is going to beat Virginia and they couldn't do it when they come up and and the argument for Virginia So in in my mind, yes, Texas got better. And that is you're going to have to be your argument for for Texas because Virginia, sure, you swap Dietrich for forgets. I'm cool with calling that an even swap. So they basically still have then, let's say, the same team, right? They got the same guys and they did it last year. So now your only argument is, oh, but Texas got better, so they won't be able to pull it off again. Well, let's wait and see. But they did do it last year. And they did it against the same guys, until you beat until you beat them and show that you are going to do it. And sure, maybe if they play the match twice, Texas wins it once, Virginia wins it once, and so the Texases do. But Virginia gets the they get the respect that they earned with those same guys beating them. They have to be put in front of
1: them. We'll talk about it on tomorrow's show. I, your argument's not wrong, but I don't know if it's right either. That's that's where yeah. I end up. Yeah. In this. Like that's that's the most we, amazing part about this. Yep. Yeah. And so again... Yeah, like, I, I also do think there's some projection there. To say Dietrich is equal to Getz, like Ryan Getz was so good. It was a big four the last two years. Like, yeah, Gianni Ross is really good. Barbatzer was cute. But like Getz being as good as he was, he's the four we've projected onto all of these teams the last couple of years. Like that's how good Ryan Getz was these past few years. It's a huge loss. Anyways, my last question on Texas, Chris, if they don't win this year, why? Is it just as simple as Ohio State, Virginia are also once-in-a-generation teams? Like what's your biggest concern? man i
0: yeah i mean i if they don't win it's just because somebody had a remarkable day and beat them like mm-hmm. and it's it's one of those it's one of those top 4 i mean if it's to anybody other than and i'm still going to leave tcu there if it's to anybody other than a tcu ohio state or uh or virginia then Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what to say about it. They, they got, it was injuries or they, or they just, they, they themselves just crapped the bed, right? It's, they blew it. But if it's to one of those other three teams and they just, it's because somebody, you know, we all know if we play the match a hundred times, yeah, they're, they probably more than anybody are going to come out ahead. I will concede that. Uh, But it only matters one time and man, can Virginia get up for a one timer? And and I think that's the, and that's the difference. And so, and if somebody beats them, it's going to be for just that reason, whether it was Virginia or one of those other teams, somebody got up for a one timer and just played better than they did that
1: day. That's really well said again there are some really good teams out there on paper. This Texas team is as good as any team I've ever seen, and I'm really looking forward to watching them compete throughout the course of the year because, again, this group's done everything but. They've won individual accolades. The only thing they're lacking is the team title, and perhaps this is the year the job gets done. Number two in our preseason rankings, the Texas Longhorns. That said... We only got one episode left, Chris, and then we get to focus on tennis as it unfolds throughout the course of the year. I know we are both exciting for that. Talk to me about college tennis ranks. Is the website up and running? What can we expect throughout the course? Uh, of
0: the, year? I mean, th- the website's there. The college stuff isn't up yet. I will say for those that like to poll, and a uh, sh- super shout out to Cola Lewis, because she loves to, uh, she loves to help keep me updated with uh, many items. One of which was the fact that when the ATP changed, The format of their site, my uh, rankings broke uh, and that has been fixed. So the sort of in the pro stuff is up and working, working, still sort of working with a target of kind of kickoff weekend to try to get schedules and and everything updated. I will probably this week get the latest ITA rankings up and rolled over to this year. But uh, we're probably a week or two out from really getting things really rolling on the site.
1: Well, that's why we love you because all you, that work you do is free and for all of us to enjoy. So a thank you to you in advance for all the work you will do, I am sure, over the course of this 2024 season, of course. You still got one more episode with me here in this preseason edition. Again, we will be back later in the week to do so. If you've missed out on any of our content, all you got to do is scroll down on the Great Shot podcast feed, wherever it is you listen to our episodes. You can hear everything, and I, uh, everything Chris and I have said throughout the course of this offseason. Of course, a thank you, as always, to our super producer daniel westoff for the <laughs> event job he does day in day out making all of our content possible as well with that said for the fantastic chris helioris our super producer daniel westoff and all of us here at both cracked rackets and the tennis channel podcast network i am your host alex gruskin chris what do we tell our listeners hey great shot and we will see you all tomorrow thanks everyone